Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today. Father God, where else can we find faithfulness but in you? You are the same yesterday, today, and forever, so we put our hope in you because you are good. We believe it, we trust it, we know it, we stake our life on your faithfulness. And you've pro- proven it over and over and over, time and time and time again. So Father, receive this offering of praise to you for who you are and all that you've done. May the noise from our lips bring you praise today. Give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear from your word as you speak to us. Help us to leave this place transformed by your Holy Spirit. And it's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. Thank you so much for being with us again today. My name is Steve Zarelli. I'm one of the pastors here at Woodside. So grateful for all of you joining us online as well as here in the building. One way to think about worship is simply thanking our King for his goodness and faithfulness in every situation, in every circumstance. In fact, that's what the Apostle Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He said, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I hope you've taken some time this weekend to give God the gift of your gratitude. Just to say to him, thank you. Thank you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're doing in my life. And I want to ask you, have you thanked him for all the good things? Have you thanked him for his presence and faithfulness through all the bad? William Arthur Ward was a well-known 20th century Christian author. He wrote, feeling gratitude and not expressing it is like wrapping a present and not giving it. And here's one of the big lessons I'm learning, I'm not sure about you, but that I'm learning about God's gifts during this hashtag 2020 year, that God doesn't give gifts like I expect him to give gifts. He doesn't give gifts like I do. His gifts don't always make sense to me, to be honest with you. God's gifts don't always show up when I expect them to, and they're not always wrapped in the shiny, wrappy paper that I'm expecting either. In fact, if I were to give myself gifts, it would look a whole lot different from what I've received. And yet sometimes God's gifts then are mysterious. Sometimes he gives a gift and I don't even recognize it until I look back and think about what he just brought me through. Sometimes he gives gifts and we don't even see them until after the fact. So in the spirit of thanksgiving, I wrote down just a short list of five of God's mysterious gifts that I'm thankful for this particular weekend. Maybe you can relate to just a few of them. I am thankful for elections because regardless of the outcome, it reminds me that my heavenly father is my king and I belong to his kingdom. I am thankful for this pandemic that it produces overwhelming sorrow because it reminds me of the scripture that this perishable body will be, will will one day put on the imperishable and that this mortal body will put on immortality, that death is swallowed up in victory for all who know Jesus as the King of Kings. I'm thankful for the frustration, for the tears, 
Even the anger that has swelled up within me as I've witnessed human beings made in the image of God lay violent hands on other image bearers. Because it reminds me that the true king is coming soon. And the scripture tells us that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have all passed away. I'm thankful for the anxious moments I had next to my daughter's hospital bed a few months ago because it reminds me, like the scripture says, that our days are like grass, that even though we flourish like a flower of the field, then the wind passes over us and this life is gone. And yet I know the gardener. He is the king of my soul and he will breathe new life into my resurrected lungs. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all the beauty And I'm thankful for all the brokenness, because without the beauty, I lose hope. I would lose hope, and without the brokenness, I would hope, uh, I wouldn't hope to be with my king at all. So the thing about God is that he is always lavishing gifts upon us, even when we don't recognize it. That's who he is. He's the gift giver. He's the ultimate, salient, preeminent gift giver. It says in James chapter 1, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Now the truth is, sometimes I am so wrapped up in the world that I go looking for stuff he's already gift-wrapped to me. I go looking for all the things that he's already given to me in Christ in all the wrong places. That's in fact the title that we gave this series, Gift Wrapped, that every longing of our soul has been given to us through the Father, through the work of the Son, and illuminated through the work of the Holy Spirit. This Christmas uh, season, we're going to be looking at really the, the basic Christian message because it's very simple. It's that the greatest gift God has given the world is Jesus Christ. But make no mistake about this fact that Jesus Christ came gift wrapped in mystery. He came gift wrapped in mystery. He didn't show up the way people expected him to. He didn't show up how people expected him to. He didn't do what people expected him to do. He didn't come wrapped up in the world. Jesus came wrapped up in the covenant promises of God, of Scripture. So this year, we're going to get a deeper understanding of the gift of Jesus, the mysterious gift of Christ, by looking at some of the covenant promises that God uh, gave humanity throughout time, and that all point to Jesus coming. Covenants made with Noah, with Abraham, with Israel, with David, and ultimately on Christmas Eve, we'll look at the new covenant in Christ's blood. I'm excited because this series is going to help us see how the whole Bible is truly integrated, how it all fits together, together through these covenant promises. It's going to help us understand why Jesus came. And if you have the courage to listen to the Holy Spirit of God, God is going to fill up those longings of your heart, those empty parts with his good gifts. It's really what we need 
this season. So turn in that spirit in your Bibles to Genesis 9 this morning, if you would, even though we put all the scriptures on the screen, even if you're at home and you can see them right there, please just turn there with me. All the students in the room, just turn in the Bible. It's just good to see the words yourself right back to the beginning of the story, Genesis 9, the very first book. We're going to see the story of Noah today, and you might be thinking, I know this one. My kids know this one. We watched the VeggieTales episode during quarantine. We have the Playmobil set from Target. We have all the coloring books, so what's next? Sometimes it's good to hear things again. Sometimes it's good to hear things for the hundredth time. Because if you're like me, there have been countless times in my life when I think I really get it, but I don't got it. And I'm so thankful to the Lord that God is gracious enough to help me fully get it when I think I got it, but I really don't get it. And sometimes that's why we need to revisit stories and principles because there's so much to unpack. There's so many layers and levels to God's word. So to get us into this story, I want to remind you that the Bible has 1,189 chapters within it. That is quite a few. And you'd think it would take a little while to move along from what's called in storytelling the exposition or the beginning to the second part of a typical story, which is called the inciting incident. We have 1,189 chapters to, to do it, so you'd think it would take a little bit of time, but when you read the story of Scripture, it takes all of how many chapters, church, if you've been around Christianity for a while, three chapters, that's it, before the inciting incident comes. Chapters one and two, God creates, there is rest, there is marriage, there is intimacy, there is perfect relationship. Chapter three, inciting incident The fall, sin enters the world. Chapter four, and this absolutely blows my mind every time I think about it, the first son born on planet Earth murders his own brother. I mean, murders his own brother, the first child ever born. Chapter five, it's a family tree. Humanity multiplies. And by the time we get all the way to just chapter six, verse five, that's, all where, that, that's where we're at. Just chapter six, verse five, first book. It says, the Lord saw, verse five, saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Verse seven, so the Lord said, I will blot out man with whom whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. There's still 1,183 chapters to go, and God's already ready for a new beginning. Creation, fall, the multiplication of evil, something we call sin, a new beginning for creation. Have you ever needed a new beginning? Have you ever needed a fresh start? There are times when the brokenness in us runs so deep that the only way forward is for God to give us a new beginning. 
There are times when we can't fix it. We can't put the shattered pieces back together. We need the potter. We need the blacksmith. We need the creator, the life giver, the covenant maker, the promise keeper to step in. And that's exactly what God does in Noah's life. He steps in, removes all the filth, and establishes what's called a covenant. We'll talk about that in a few moments. And gifts, he gives them gifts. He gifts them a new beginning, a new life, a new opportunity. So let's first look at who received the gift of God's covenant. We'll look at verses 8 through 10, Genesis chapter 9. Then God said to Noah, this is after the flood, we'll go back in a minute, said to Noah and his sons with him, behold, I establish my covenant with you and your offspring after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the livestock, and every beast of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark, it is for every beast of the earth. Now the story of the flood from chapter 6, the truth of it is, it is one of the most horrific moments in human history. This is not simply poetry. This is historical narrative, an account of human history. Our culture loves to soften its devastation with peaceful looking animals and Beautiful colors, and maybe you even picked up a Christmas ornament of Noah's Ark this year. And I mean, all the animals in every picture, they're always smiling. They're all so happy. They're so happy to be locked in this boat. They're so happy to be seasick. Even the snake is smiling. Check it out. Go look at your kids' books. Trust me, I checked before I preached today. They're always smiling, always happy. But when you think about the reality of this Story. When you consider the scale and scope of this historical account, it is terrifying. I'm not even going to try to soften it for any of the children in this room today. This is overwhelmingly terrifying. A global flood that wipes out life on the earth. And the real effect of the word of God is that we are left with two options. Either God is far worse than we ever imagined, or sin is far worse than we ever imagined. And I think the reason that God ultimately gives us, or the reason he does give us here, and you can count on it, if you count on the word of God to tell you the truth, it's very clear that sin is more destructive than we could have ever thought imaginable. The reason we don't always understand the stench of sin is because we've gotten so used to its smell. It's like a 13-year-old boy who hasn't showered for a week and doesn't use deodorant, but he thinks he smells like roses. There might be one sitting right next to you right now. I'm so sorry. If you're at home, I know you didn't shower. You're just watching online. You're like, yeah, I stink. It's all right. Nobody cares. By Genesis 6, God was so grief-stricken over the state of his creation that he pours out judgment. But he wasn't done with humanity. He already decided that the story of humanity would not be determined by human depravity. The story of humanity would instead be determined not by our depravity, but by his grace. And ultimately, that's what you see in this story today, his Grace. So God chose Noah and his family as the people who would be saved from the flood and repopulate the earth. Why? 
The scripture says because Noah is the first one in the scriptures called righteous by God. What does it mean that he was righteous? It means that he simply obeyed God. He was righteous because of his obedience. He was righteous because he heard the word of God and he responded by trusting God. Therefore, he was called righteous. So God tells Noah to do things that if they were spoken today, even today on this side of the foot, it would have sounded absolutely insane. I mean, build a giant boat and put a zoo inside of it. Think about the faith that this would have required from Noah. God was giving him a mysterious gift, an ark, a sanctuary, but Noah would have had no idea how to process what God was about to do for him and in him and through him and in the world. Now, have you ever opened up a gift, perhaps on Christmas, that you you opened it up and you just have no idea what it was? You just have no idea. It happens to me every year. I'm not exaggerating. Every year, unfortunately, my father-in-law, who is very handy with things, always gives his sons, and I'm the one son-in-law, some kind of tool. And I wish I understood more about fixing things up. I don't. I usually stare at stuff, get frustrated, beat it, and then eventually call somebody and say, please help me. I'm clueless, but I'll open these things up on Christmas uh, Day, and, and it's always some kind of tool that I've never seen before. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's used for, and so he smiles and says, here you go, and I'm like, yeah, thanks for the thing, for the thing, you know, the thing. Yeah, I'm going to use it for the thing, um, because I have no idea what it is. Well, imagine Noah here, because none of this would have made sense. When was the last time, though, you felt God's prompting, you knew it was consistent with his word, but you had no idea where he was leading you? You have no idea why he is speaking this to you, why he's asking you to do this. You have, you have no idea where it actually will take you. You had to rely on faith. If God always makes sense to you, if you can always see the next step right in front of you, if you always know where the path is leading and where it's going, I'm just going to suggest that you might not be actually following God's path. Because the path of faith is one where ultimately we know the destination, but we don't always know the next step. We don't always know the details. We don't always know where this is going to lead. And Noah had no idea where this was taking him. But Noah obeys. The floods come. The entire earth is swallowed up. Noah's family and the animals are saved. And if all of that sounds too remarkable for you, then you will have a hard time when it comes to other shocking claims of Scripture, like the fact that God became a man and was born to a virgin woman. The truth is, if you don't like supernaturalism, then the Bible is not your book. Because the truth is, if you take away supernaturalism, you take away Christianity. We have to believe this. We can't go through this and say, you know, I love all the parts that rationally make sense to my naturalistic mind. If that's your view of Scripture, then you will have abandoned the very message of Scripture. And yet I find it fascinating and interesting that even atheists and agnostics have premonitions towards supernaturalism. They have this underlying thing within them saying, you know, I, I still believe in some parts of a supernaturalistic worldview. 
Why is that the case? I believe it because it's written on our hearts. We all long for more than what this world even has to offer. And so Noah understands all of this, believes all of this, trusts all of this. And so they stay in the ark for 150 days of rain. Maybe you just thought it was 40. 150 days. And then another 220 days before they stepped out of the ark after that. A 370-day stay-inside order. How's that feel? Hashtag 2020. How does that sound? When Noah finds himself on the other side of this trauma... Imagine the uncertainty. Imagine the questions. How do you even begin to build again? We've been dealing with a pandemic, but most things remained about the same as before. There's nations and corporations, and there's a food supply chain. There's been disruptions, but nothing in the same universe as what is described here. Imagine coming out of the ark almost a year later, and everything's gone. So now what? What's Noah going to do? That's the first question that might come to mind, but it's not the best question. It's the wrong question. What should I do is usually the wrong question. The first question we should ask when we don't know what to do or where to turn is what is God going to do? Or looking backwards, what has God already done? That's a better question. What is God going to do? What has God already done? And the answer is God is going to establish a covenant. This is the first one mentioned in scripture. He's going to establish a covenant with Noah. What is a covenant? If you like to take notes, write this down, a simple definition. A covenant is when a relationship is bound together by obligations. It's when a relationship is bound together by obligations. Covenants turn promises into obligations. Let me give you a simple example. A biblical marriage covenant is not some kind of contract that means I'll love you the right way as long as you love me the right way. That's not a covenantal relationship. A marriage covenant doesn't mean that if you do what I want you to, then and only then will I actually respond the way I'm supposed to in the way that I promised. The marriage covenant is meant to be unbreakable and eternally binding. It's a person saying, this is the idea of biblical covenant, a person is saying, of my own volition, I voluntarily obligate myself to you for the rest of my life. That's a covenant. God says it three times in this chapter. I establish my covenant. I establish my covenant. The covenant that I have established. He says it over and over. Why? Why does he give the repetition? For emphasis. So we understand who's making the promise. Who is obliging themselves to someone else. And who did God obligate himself to? Noah, his sons, and their offspring after them. So what does that mean? That includes everybody. That includes everyone here, everyone throughout time from Noah forward. And not just everybody, every living creature. It was universal, unilateral, and unconditional. That was the type of covenant that God established. That's who received it. Verse 11 tells us what was promised. Here's the promise. I established my covenant with you that never again 
shall flesh, shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of the flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. So God made a universal, unilateral, unconditional covenant, and after thousands of years and billions of sinful, rebellious acts, his word today is still trustworthy and true. That amazes me. That, that even though from that time forward, think of all the rebellion, all the evil that has occurred, even still he has proven himself faithful. His grace is still present. His faithfulness hasn't failed. You've maybe heard that the story of the flood appears in almost every ancient origin story from around the world, especially within the Middle East. But in a number of these stories, the reason for the flood was overpopulation. So the gods acted in nature to get rid of some of the human population. The flood is how God's dealt with this problem of too many people. And so after the flood, there are even stories of how the gods within certain worldviews and religious systems would strike some women without the ability to have children. Why? Again, just to control the population. So whether by nature or by the gods, there's a low view of human life in all of these stories. But the biblical story is completely different. In the Bible, the problem was not too many people. The problem was not overpopulation. The problem is the evil within people. And it was that people no longer valued life as it was meant to be valued. So God brings judgment and God brings grace. If you only see God's judgment here, you're missing his grace. And if all you see is God's grace, you're missing his judgment. He has both. They're attributes of his love. Because he is love, he is just. Because he is love, he is gracious. And we have both represented here in this story. So we have the recipients. We know the covenant promise. And finally, we're given this covenantal sign. Look at verse 12. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth, and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I've established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. It's repetition. There's so much repetition. He keeps saying the same words over and over. Why? Because sometimes it takes God saying it to us a thousand times before we finally get it. But he's made his promise known. And covenants carry signs that point back to their permanency. It's what's called ratifying the covenant. Uh, I've worn this ring for, if I can get it off, for 17 years, two months, and 10 days. I count every day. Not really. <laughs> but 17 years, two months, and 10 days. That's 6,280 days. It's a sign. It's a symbol of the covenant that stands between Katie and me. God made a covenant with Abraham and gave him a sign of circumcision. God made a covenant with Israel and gave them a sign 
of the Sabbath, of rest. God makes a covenant with Noah here and gives him the bow, the rainbow, as a sign. God says, when I see the bow in the clouds, it says, I will remember my covenant with you. Now, remember, the Hebrew word for remember does not mean that he had forgotten and simply recalled after having forgotten. That's not what it means at all. It means to follow through on your obligations to a covenant partner. I'm remembering to fulfill my commitments. It assumes action. It assumes faithfulness. It assumes follow through. I remember this day. I remember what I've spoken. So a rainbow in the clouds today, this is so beautiful to think about. A rainbow in the clouds today is a continuation of God's spoken word to a man that lived thousands of years ago, and God is still saying the same thing every time we see it. Isn't that crazy that he's still speaking the exact same message that he gave him then, them then? We get it today. It's a testimony to God's faithfulness and grace from forever ago. The rainbow has been assigned all kinds of meanings, but we cannot forget the meaning that God gave it. His grace, his mercy, his presence. So think about it. Let's go back to the original question. After the flood, did the earth get a fresh start? Let's close with this thought for a little while. Did a new beginning come for humanity? Did they live happily ever after? No. No. Noah and his sons, along with their kids, they continued doing what, church? Yeah, the kids get it. They get it better than we do. Let's take ourselves all back to eight or 10 years old. They continue doing what? Sin. We have a hard time even saying it. They continue sinning. Just a few chapters later, a few generations later, the Tower of Babel, God, we're bigger than you, we're better than you, we'll worship ourselves. Why didn't he bring a flood then? Why didn't he start over again? Because of his covenant. Listen to the words of Genesis chapter 8, verse 21. This is what God says to Noah right after he comes out of the ark and makes a sacrificial offering to the Lord. So he's being faithful to the Lord, creates a sacrifice to the Lord, says, thank you for all your faithfulness to me. And this is what God says. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord Yahweh said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Is not a very popular message today. Neither will I ever strike down every living creature as I have done. Do you see it? Before the flood, Genesis 6, verse 5. Before the flood, every intention of the thoughts of man's heart was only evil continually. I read it before. After the flood, the intention of man's heart was evil from his youth. We didn't change. We didn't change. What changed after the flood was God's disposition towards his creation. The evil in the human heart was the reason for God's judgment in the flood. And the evil in the human heart is the reason for God's mercy and grace after the flood. There was no new beginning after the flood, at least not yet. So God 
in his sovereignty, began to make these covenants throughout history, making these promises all pointing to what was to come, promises pointing his creation back to a real new beginning. And that's why we celebrate the Christmas season, because the new beginning is only found in Jesus. It wasn't found after the flood. It wasn't found in all the millions of events after. It was ultimately only found in Jesus. We can't create a new beginning. We can't fix it. We can't put the shattered pieces back together. We need the covenant maker. We need the promise keeper to step in. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus came. He came to give us a real new beginning. Most of us can't wait for 2020 to be over so we could have a fresh start. And I'm a big fan of New Year's Eve and the next year, but I'm gonna be a little bit of a Debbie Downer and just tell you it's just another day, friends. It's just another day. It's January 1st, 2021. The, the truth is, the beginning that we desperately need is not psychological, it's spiritual. It's something that we need internally. It's something that we need to happen within our hearts. And it only happens when we voluntarily obligate ourselves to Jesus through faith for the rest of our lives, knowing he has already obligated himself to us forever. He's already obligated himself to us forever. The new beginning you're searching for, it's not found in a job. It's not found in a man. It's not found in a woman. It's not found in a bank statement. It's not found in any other thing. It's only found in Jesus. That's where it's found. That's where it's discovered. That's where it's realized. And we can know that it is true because it was ratified with an empty tomb. We know it to be true. If you do not know Jesus today, I pray if you're watching online that you type connect into the chat box that somebody will speak with you. If you don't understand the security that you can have in Christ, this covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God who can give you a new beginning, he will recreate your life, your heart, everything about you from the inside out then respond today. If you're in this room after we sing and after we worship, respond, receive him. And if you've already experienced a new beginning through faith in Christ, and I'll ask the band to come on out, if you've already received and experienced this new beginning through faith in Jesus, but right now, maybe you're being honest with yourself, right now you're scared. Right now you're trapped. Right now you feel like you're drowning. You feel like the sun hasn't been out for hundreds of days. You feel like it's been raining for months and you don't know if this door is ever gonna open again. You just feel stuck. Remember, remember, he has covenanted himself to you. He is obligated to you. He's done it before in your life. He'll do it again. He will not forget his promises. Even when you choose to reject them, 
Even when you choose to forget them from our perspective, he hasn't forgotten anything. He sees you right now, right where you are. He sees you and he will bring you through. Why is it that we think that his promise doesn't stand? Why is it that we give up trusting him? He's just saying like he said in the days of Noah, will you trust me? You don't know the next step. You don't know where this path leads, but that is faith. That's what faith is. It's the essence of faith. Will you follow? Will you trust that he has good things in store for you? Father God, thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Father, I pray for everyone who is experiencing this online or here in the room, that if there be any Lord who has not entered into that covenant relationship with you, they have not obligated themselves to you through faith, that they would respond today knowing that you have obligated yourself to us through the cross. Simply receiving it in faith, Father, binds us with you. There is no other new beginning. That's the pinnacle point of history, the only place where new beginnings start. I pray that they would accept you in faith today. Father, for every person here who is struggling and they feel stuck, they feel like they're in the middle of a storm, help them to remember that you'll do it again. Your covenant still stands. Your promise still stands. You're still reigning on the throne. You are our king. So we stand firm. We take a step. We trust you. We give it all to you. It's for your glory. Our life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and let's respond. Sing this out together. Wherever you are, whatever you're feeling, whatever you're going through, sing in faith. Trust him. Trust him. He's faithful. Trust him. He'll follow through. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We'd love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org contact to introduce yourself today.